after me, Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey the word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. This is the second part of our series, The Power of One. And today, um, we're going to be talking about Mordecai. Last week, Rabbi Carol spoke about Hadassah and how her life made a difference in her generation in seeing the Jewish people delivered. Today, I'm going to speak about Mordecai and how his singular life made such a powerful difference and impact on a kingdom. Before we get into the meat of the message, I want to accentuate exactly what the Jewish people were up against from Haman and the Persian Empire. Because unless you realize this, you really won't get Purim. And a lot of Gentiles don't get Purim. What are these people doing? They're dressing up in goofy costumes and celebrating and rejoicing. We're rejoicing because we are remembering a great deliverance that took place through the hand of God. That we are told to remember the great deeds of the Lord. Because that gives us courage in our present day. When we understand that God has delivered us in the past, is delivering us presently, and will deliver us in the future. That's a powerful tool that we could go to. So listen to this. Haman said to Ahasuerus, there is a particular people, the Jewish people, scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. Moreover, they don't observe the king's laws. It doesn't befit the king to tolerate them. If it please the king, have a decree written for their destruction. And I will hand over 30, 330 tons of silver, let that resonate, to the officials in charge of the king's affairs to deposit in the royal treasury. The king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagi, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the money is given to you and the people to do with as it seems good to you. The king's secretaries were summoned on the 13th day of the first month. They wrote down all Haman's orders to the king's army commanders and governors in all the provinces and to all the officials of every people. In other words, they were thorough. To each province in its own script and to each people in their own language. Everything was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by courier to all the royal provinces, listen, to destroy, kill, and exterminate all Jews from young to old, including small children and women. On a specific day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to seize their goods as plunder. A copy of the document is to be issued as a decree in every province 
was to be publicly proclaimed to all the people so that they would be ready for that day. Haman wanted them ready to carry out this order. At the king's orders, the runners went out quickly, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the capital. The king and Haman sat down for a drink together to celebrate, but the city of Shushan was thrown into confusion. Why do we celebrate Purim? Because a evil, maniacal man wanted to enact genocide on our people. Totally wipe us out. Every province, in every tongue, in every city. It was endorsed by the king, and it was well-funded. Think about it, this one-day affair. 330 tons of silver in our day is a quarter of a billion dollars for a one-day venture. For what purpose? To exterminate to the very last man and child every Jew in the kingdom. That's evil. At its height. And sometimes even we as Jewish people we don't get to the, to the core of what's really taking place on Purim because now what we do and what we've done, we've covered it with levity. Because how, how do you go on when all these terrible things have come against you throughout your history? So you make light of it and you dress up and you play games, again, celebrating the deliverance of the Lord. This venture of Haman and the king was organized to ensure that not one Jewish person would live. That's pretty serious stuff, right? So if you wonder why Jewish people are happy around Purim time, around Hanukkah time, (laughs) this is why. Enter Mordecai the Jew. Because we're talking about the power of one. Because we could sit there in our life and say, how could I make a difference? I'm only one person. How could I change a nation? I'm only one person. Mordecai the Jew was only one person in a powerful and vast kingdom with the odds stacked against him with decrees already written. Yet Mordecai the Jew would make a difference. And the power of one life is seen in our ability to first be a godly influence. The difference that Mordecai would ultimately make was already in the works many years before he invested or as he invested into the young Hadassah. See, Hadassah grew up in his house and the reason Mordecai could make a difference is because he first made an investment influencing his niece in a godly way. And because she was mentored by him and it stuck in her kishkas, he was able to have influence over this young woman who had now been thrust into a position for such a time as this to have influence over the greatest king of that time.
Let's read in Esther chapter 2, verse 5. There was in Shushan, the capital, a man who was a Jew, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, from Benjamin. He had been exiled from Yerushalayim with the captives exiled with Yachaniah, king of Yehuda, from whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bavel, had carried off. He had raised Hadassah. That's what he did. He had raised Hadassah. Hadassah just didn't merely occupy a space in his home. She just wasn't given quarter where she could move in and out, but he raised Hadassah personally. Which is Esther, his uncle's daughter, because she had neither father nor mother. Mordecai raised Hadassah, which is to say that she was a direct reflection of who Mordecai was. And we'll see, we see it throughout the story. She was a direct reflection of Mordecai's life and faithfulness to God. That's an important thing because we think, how do we make a difference? We make a difference first by being a godly influence on others. You know what? You could be a, a mom, a homemaker, and say, how could I make a difference? By being a godly influence on your children. A dad who's a working dad, you go to work and you come home and you do the normal things. How could I be, make a difference? How can my life really count by being a godly influence on someone who's going to reflect your character and your character reflecting the character and nature of God who's going to stand up to evil and wrong? How do I make a difference my one singular life? You make a difference by influencing a workmate with your godly character. Them taking a stand against evil and changing the world. I'm sure every Jew was grateful that there was a righteous Gentile who was willing to protect them from Nazi Germany. Godly influence making a difference. You see, this is the true essence of the Vahafta, to impart to our children and to others the ways of God and the life of God. How do we make a difference? We make a difference by influencing others, by our godly character, which first tells us that we have to develop that godly character. Don't put it on the shelf because of, you know, what everyone else is doing, the popular things to do and the way the word of God is maligned these days and watered down, it's been reduced to pablum when in fact it is the most nutritious substance in the universe, the word of God. Godly influence. Let's read further in chapter 2 of Esther. And it said, Esther did not disclose her people or family ties. Because Mordecai had instructed her not to tell anyone. Anyone know young people? How many people are that compliant, young people? You tell them don't do something and they turn around and do it. But Esther did exactly what Mordecai said. Instructed, it says. She was willing to be instructed by her uncle, even though now she's in the king's palace. Could do whatever she wants. No one to tell her what to do. Yet she was instructed by Mordecai. Every day, Mordecai would walk around in front of the courtyard of the harem's house 
in order to know how Esther was doing and what was happening to her. His influence didn't stop because he was removed, she was removed from his house. He wanted to know what was happening to this person whom he loved, who he invested into. And he's making sure the best he could that everything was going well with young Hadassah. Esther, the daughter of Avichail, whom Mordecai had adopted as his own daughter, he adopted her. Not only did he take her in, which was a righteous act, he went and said, no, I'm going to make you my daughter. I'm going to take you and give you my name. Think of that commitment to someone not his own flesh and blood. Mordecai was committed to being a godly influence on young Esther, young Hadassah. Again, Mordecai's love and concern is evident from this passage, and the fact that he adopted her tells you all you need to know about his commitment. And then in verse 20, it says, Mordecai would sit at the king's gate. Esther had not yet revealed her family ties or her people, as Mordecai had ordered her, for Esther continued, say continued, obeying what Mordecai told her to do as she had when he was raising her. So that godly influence that he had in her life lived on past his house. How many parents want to see that? Want to see the influence that you're putting into your children not dissipate as they leave and go off to college and a career, but know for that influence to live on, that godly influence that they would make a difference in the world and for eternity's sake. That's a powerful truth. We underestimate that role that we've been given to play, not only on our own children, but also on those around us being a godly influence. Too often believers try, try to blend in with the crowd. Oh, everyone's doing it. Oh, what's wrong with a drink here and a smoke there and a thing there and a thing there? What's wrong with a little mischief? Everyone else does it. But guess what? You'll never have influence if you don't live a godly life of character before the Lord. Mordecai built a relationship of trust, love, and obedience with Hadassah. I would suggest for parents you do that with your children. And a sign will be that when your children are older, they still look to you. You know, our family is like joined at the hip, it seems. And I have to tell you, I am blown away that my kids still look for us. Still look for us, still want our opinions. Still, now, they're independent young people now with their own ideas and their own thoughts. Don't get me wrong. But they look for our input on everything and anything major. They want to know what mom and dad think. They want to know what mom and dad would do. They want to know. That blesses me. And you know what? By investing in your children, being a godly influence to others, that'll happen to you too. I can't think of a more worthwhile endeavor for any parent to sow into their child than an atmosphere that promotes these principles. So listen to me. 
you can make a difference in this world by being a godly influence in your home, in your workplace, in your community. That takes commitment, that takes dedication to the Lord, and that takes a little chutzpah to stand up to evil when it shows its face. We, like Mordecai, should always look to secondly do the right thing. Mordecai was a righteous man, and we see it from our text that he was interested in doing the right thing even if it was to save an evil man. Agreed? The right thing is the right thing, right? The right thing is the right thing. If you had the opportunity to save someone who was maybe less than righteous, would you do it or would you turn the other way? Well, Mordecai did it. The scripture tells us, so whatever... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Look with me in Esther 2, again, chapter 2, verse 21. When Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's officers, Bigtan and Teresh, from the group in charge of the private entryways, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Achishverus. Good thing for the Jewish people. Let's get rid of this guy. A good thing. For Mordecai, let this guy go down. This guy's a bad guy. Bad news. I know some of the movies portray him as a handsome, charming king. This guy was ruthless to the bone. But Mordecai learned about it and told Esther the queen. Esther reported it to the king, crediting Mordecai, The matter was investigated, found to be true, and both were hanged on a stake. All this was recorded in the daily journal that was kept with the king. Wow. The truth is, even though Hadassah mentioned Mordecai's name, it didn't really resonate with the king. You know, Mordecai, whatever. And his righteous deed was initially unrecognized. Don't you do the right thing sometimes and it goes unrecognized? Live the right way and you think God doesn't see? God, it looks like I'm living the right way, they're living the wrong way, and they're blessed. And it looks like I'm forgotten. God, I'm doing the right thing, saying the right words, and it looks like they're getting promoted while I'm staying the same. What's the use in doing the right thing? Mordecai was initially unrecognized. But that was okay with him because he was committed to doing the right thing. Amen? His goal was to save a life, period. His goal was to save a life. Not to gain an advantage for himself, not even for his people. Not to get King Ahasuerus ousted out and taken care of. No, his goal was simply to do the right thing by saving a life. And even when no one was looking, who would have known? If he just turned his back, closed an ear, and say, I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. But he did hear it, and he did see it, and he did the right thing. The scripture is calling us to do the right thing. The reason our Jewish people were saved from genocide 
Because we had a man committed to doing the right thing. This act that he did that initially went unrecognized would come back to him tenfold later on in the story, as we will see. Godly character. That's what Mordecai had. He had godly character, and you and I would be well served to develop that more and more in our lives as it always pays dividends for this life and the life to come. Yeshiyahu 117 says this, learn to do good. What does that tell us? To learn it, that it's not inherent in our nature, but to learn by the power and indwelling of the Ruach Hashem, to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Do the right thing. Well, those are two things that we can do to influence our generation. The third thing, we like Mordecai must take a stand for righteousness. There comes a day, friend, you could talk and pray. You could study the word of God. You could be in your prayer closet on a regular basis. You could say the right things to your family and children. It's easy to do. But there comes a day when you're going to be face-to-face with evil, with wrong, and that you're going to have to stand up for righteousness. Esther chapter 3, sometime later, King Ahasuerus began to single out Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, for advancement. Eventually, he gave him precedence over all his fellow officers. All the king's servants at the king's gate would kneel and bow before Haman. Time for a boo. (laughs) Because the king had so ordered. But Mordecai would neither kneel nor bow to him. Yes, by the way, during Purim, we boo Haman and we cheer Mordecai and Esther. So every time Mordecai and Esther's names appear, we go, yay. (laughs) And every time Mordecai is mentioned, we go, I mean, Haman, sorry. See, I tested you and you passed the test. Awesome. (laughs) So when Mordecai, I'm sorry, here we go. (laughs) Sometime later, King Akashverus, he's going to now promote Haman. All the king's servants at the king's gate are going to now bow down to him, except Mordecai. The king's servants at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why don't you obey the king's order? What's wrong with you? Just bow down. A little compromise never hurt anyone, correct? Correct? No. (laughs) Why don't you bow down to him? Why don't you obey the king's order? Well, but after they had confronted him a number of times, and obviously he's not listening, without paying attention to him, they told Haman... In order to find out whether Mordecai's explanation that he was a Jew would suffice to justify his behavior. So now they're going to test his theory. The reason he's not bowing his knee is because he's a Jew. Well, let's see if that holds muster with the king. And I'm sure it's not going to. Mordecai would not bow to the gods of men. We sing that song. We will not bow to the gods of men. 
And I want to tell you this clearly. You will be asked to bow to the gods of men. You will be asked to submit to the laws of the land, quote unquote, even when they require us to do evil. But guess what? Mordecai wouldn't do it. Mordecai wanted, he was interested in one thing, obeying God, saving a life, and doing the right thing. So obviously, Mordecai's not going to bow to this Haman. It's idolatry for a Jew to do that, so he's not going to go ahead and go along with the crowd. You and I are always tempted to go along with the crowd. Chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Haman was furious when he saw that Mordecai was not kneeling and bowing down to him. And I want to tell you, the enemy of our soul is furious when we don't listen to him either. However, on learning what people Mordecai belonged to, the Jewish people, it seemed to him a waste to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Here's how insidious this plot is. Rather, he decided to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. Why should I destroy one Jew when I could destroy all Jews? If I want to tell you, why do we celebrate during Purim? Because this guy wanted all Jews everywhere exterminated. So get later when we're hooting and hollering and dancing and singing, don't blame us. God spared our life. Hallelujah. Why is this significant? Because at first it appears that Mordecai's stance is counterproductive, right? Mordecai now gets in bigger trouble. And now, instead of his own life being taken, all the Jewish people everywhere in the kingdom are now at risk because of this stance for righteousness. Mordecai has now provoked Haman so that not only is his life in danger, but the entire Jewish population is in danger. This seems like it was a bad move, a wrong decision, but it wasn't. And you and I need to understand that because sometimes when we take a stand for righteousness, you don't get immediately, immediate results. Sometimes it, th- it seems as if things actually get a little bit worse when we take a stand for righteousness, when we do the right thing, as happened in our story. Mordecai's goal was to honor the God of Israel, to not bow down to an idol in Haman. Yet as he did that and took his stand, now the Jewish people everywhere are ready to be exterminated from the face of the earth. To the lever- every, he said every man and woman Every young child, everyone. No one would be spared from this edict. That brings me to our fourth and final lesson that we can learn from Mordecai's life is we should look to emulate Mordecai's reaction and response. How did he react to this bad news? How do you react to bad news? How do you react to the things You're doing the right thing, but wrong things are happening as a result. Well, in chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, When Mordecai learned everything that had been done, 
He learns about the edict. He learns now what he did just incited this guy and this thing has become over the top now. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out through the city lamenting and crying bitterly. In every province reached by the king's order and decree, there was great mourning among the Yehudim with fasting, weeping, and wailing as many lay down on sackcloth and ashes. Now that he has his influence now, has influenced all of the Jewish people everywhere. They're all weeping and wailing because they realize that they're in a tight spot as we have been over and over in our history. But you know what? This applies to even your personal life. Perhaps you're in a tight spot now. And you say, God, I'm doing the right thing. God, I'm taking a stand for righteousness. God, I'm acting and behaving with godly character and this is getting me absolutely nowhere. This situation is getting worse and worse and worse. Maybe I should just throw in my hat with Haman. Maybe I should try to get in on his good side. Maybe I should just appease him, run to him and bow a hundred times and maybe he'll have mercy and relent. I want to tell you this. Never compromise with the enemy. Because the enemy of our soul will never, ever, 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 ever have mercy on you. He's not merciful. He's not looking to give you a break. He sees you suffering and he's not moved to tears. He's excited to do worse. You have to understand that about the enemy of our soul. Because who do you think is behind this Haman and Achishveros? The scripture tells us plainly we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts. They're mere puppets in this story. The evil one himself is behind this, as he's always been throughout the ages, wanting to annihilate God's people, wanting to hurt us, kill us, put sickness on us, disease on us. Whatever he could do to cause us pain, suffering, and misery, he's hell-bent to do. But what's our response? Do we say, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. Maybe if I kind of go easy in my walk with the Lord and don't, you know, ruffle the feathers, maybe he'll have mercy. Friend, no mercy is coming. Our only answer is the same thing that Mordecai did. Mordecai's response was to, with sackcloth and ashes, to rend his garments and fall on his face before God and say, God, only you can save me. God, only you. Friends, some of us in this room are in a situation where only God can help you. I've been there many times. The scripture that says, the help of men are worthless, resonates with my spirit. Men can't do for us what only God can do. And we need to get, be at that place where Mordecai is. He understands that he needs to go to God. One commentator said, unlike the dumbfounded city, Mordecai springs into action, taking definite steps to publicly demonstrate his feelings. This mourning is not for past loss, but for future threat. It's an actual kind of public protest. He wants the world to know that this is a bad thing and that he's calling out to his God. 
verse 7, it says, Mordecai told him Hatak, which was Hadassah's aid, everything that had happened to him and exactly how much silver Haman had promised to put into the royal treasury for the destructions of the Jews. Remember, a quarter of a billion dollars for a one-day event, for a one-day campaign. He also gave him a copy of the decree for their destruction issued in Shushan so that he could show it to Esther, explain it to her, and then instruct her to approach the king, intercede with him, and implore his favor on behalf of his people. Now, Mordecai springs into action. Okay, he not only goes to God first, which we should do, but now he says, no, I'm going to do something else. Remember the godly influence I told you that he had over his adopted daughter now? Right, he has that influence. He's going to use his influence and he's going to go to her and he's going to tell her exactly what to do. What's the odds of someone in her position with the pressure that she has? We know that now if she goes into the king, she's in danger of losing her own life, of doing exactly what Uncle Morty says, so to speak, right? Not good. But he was confident that what he put into her was going to come out in this time. So his response is to talk to Esther. Hadassah responds by showing reservation. She does. She shows reservation about the instructions given by Mordecai. She reminds Mordecai that she would be putting herself in harm's way and might even be put to death if she does what he tells her to do. At this point, it appears as if Hadassah is not going to, the, going to go into the king and is going to take this option right off the table. Mordecai's response to her is the turning point of this whole story and of the crisis. Mordecai must convince her. He needs a big speech now. You know, one of those father-daughter speeches. He needs it now. Even though she's not in his house, she's a woman on her own now. But he has to convince her that she is the best option and she needs to do this very courageous act on behalf of the Jewish people. So look what she says, or he says, Mordecai says, don't suppose that merely because you happen to be in the royal palace that you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you fail to speak up now, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from a different direction. That's his faith in God. He's understanding that, okay, you don't do it, God is going to still do it. But let me tell you the consequence to you, okay? But you and your father's family will perish. Who's her her family now? Yeah, yeah. He's saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to perish, even though God's going to figure out a way to get it done. Who knows whether you didn't come into your royal position precisely for such a time as this. I want to tell you, when you are confronted with evil, when bad things are happening to you, your reaction and response are critical. Is it going to be a godly reaction and a godly response? Or is it going to be a worldly action and a worldly response? Is it going to be a spiritual reaction and a spiritual response? or a fleshly reaction 
and a fleshly response. This is key. I mean, this is coming down. I mean, this is, don't get no more real than this. This is where the rubber meets the road. Our Jewish people are either going to survive or be exterminated like dogs. There was no one else that Hadassah would have received from that would have moved her to go into the king except for Mordecai. He was bold enough to speak up and tell Hadassah the hard truth even though it was not an easy word. Can I just tell you this, just a word of advice that I've learned over the years? Be wary of the people who always give you a nice word. Who always tell you nice things instead of the truth. You can always find someone to tell you what you want to hear, correct? Tons of people out there. And they even seem and appear as if they're friends. But look, can I tell you, there would be friends. I need to hear the truth. What I really need to hear, what I really need to do, what the scoop really is. Because only then could I take the proper measures for a good result. Sometimes the most powerful and effective thing we can and should do is speak out and tell someone the truth or tell them that something needs to be done. And in this case, Mordecai was that person and he stepped to the plate and made a difference. Hadassah's response to Mordecai was as follows. Verse 16, Go assemble all the Jews to be found in Shushan and have them fast for me. Neither eating nor drinking for three days, night and day. Also, I and the girls attending me will fast the same way. Then I will go into the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Then Mordecai went his way and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. What do you think of that response? Guys, I say this for your consideration. When's the last time you fasted and prayed for three days for a crisis that you faced? Rabbi, that's a little rough. You know what's a little more rough? Millions of Jewish people being killed in the streets. That's a little more rough. When's the last time you said, God... I'm going to deny my flesh and fast and seek your face so I can get a good result so your mercy could fall and deliverance could come. Rabbi, we don't really do it these days. Now we just fast on Yom Kippur. Says who? Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish people weren't fasting on Yom Kippur here. They were fasting and praying because they needed God to do a supernatural intervention. So think of this. As Haman is building a gallows to hang Mordecai, at the very same time, Hadassah is going in to speak to the king. God gives a glimpse of hope that he has everything under control, and God will give us a glimpse of hope as well. So Haman is implementing his plan as the king is informed about the plot to assassinate him that was foiled by Mordecai, remember? 
we talked about that earlier. But now it comes into the king's hearing. And look, listen what happens. He brings in Haman to get his opinion because he now heard it read back to him that Mordecai the Jew saved his life. So he brings in his most trusted advisor, Haman, and you could boo. And the king said to him, what should be done for a man that the king wants to honor? Haman thought of himself, of course. Haman is thinking to himself, whom would the king want to honor more than me? He loves me. Look at the position he appointed me to. So Haman answered the king for the man the king wants to honor. Have the royal robes brought, which the king himself wears, and the horse the king himself rides. With the royal crown on his head. I mean, he's not shy, right? (laughs) The robes and the horse should be handed over to the one the king's one of the king's most respected officials, and they should put the robes on the man the king wants to honor and lead him on horseback through the streets of the city, proclaiming ahead of him, this is what is done for a man whom the king wants to honor. And he's thinking, wow, this is going to be sweet. He's sitting on the horse, the king's robe, the king's crown, They're going to be parading me through the city shouting, this is what's done for the man that the king honors. And he thinks, wow, my evil plot is really working. But he gets a surprise. The king says something else, something unexpected. The king said to Haman, hurry. And take the robes and the horse, as you said, and do this for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Don't leave anything out that you mentioned. (laughs) Haman is gagging on his own saliva. He's beside himself. He is fit to be tied. Oh, my gosh, what I meant for me is happening to this Jew. And Mordecai the Jew is just... Shining godly character, doing the right thing, standing up for righteousness, seemingly forgotten by God, but yet now God shows him, I'm listening, Mordecai. And so Haman took the robes and the horse, dressed Mordecai. Get the picture. It would be as if, think of Hitler taking a Jew and putting the best on him and giving him food and position and honor, he would want to die in his very, very place that he stood. Haman took the robes, the horse, dressed Mordecai, led him riding through the streets of the city as he, Haman, proclaimed ahead of him, This is what is done for a man whom the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in mourning. I have a few minutes left in this message. But I want you to think about what's happening. The situation is beyond bad. The edict's already out. And according to the Medes and Persians... We know historically that once an edict was sent out, it could not be reversed, even by the king. 
even by the council. It was a done deal. That edict was in writing. It had the king's signet, and it could not and cannot be changed. Maybe you're in a situation that it seems or they tell us cannot be changed, cannot be reversed, cannot be altered. That's the situation Mordecai finds himself in right now. This is bad. Huh. Let's see what happens in the rest of the story. We all know in the end that the plot to exterminate the Jewish people was foiled. As God's favor was apparent throughout the whole crisis, this being one of them, he gave him a glimpse that I hear and I see, Mordecai, your good deed was not left unrewarded. So how did it end for Mordecai? This one man taking a stand for righteousness. What was the outcome for his singular influence on the events that transpired? He's only one man. Haman's plot was overthrown while Haman and his ten sons were hanged on the very gallows meant for Mordecai. I mean, could you can't, Hollywood can't even write something like this. The Jewish people were victorious in protecting themselves from the king's edict because the king's edict couldn't be reversed. But what they did was write another edict that the Jewish people can now defend themselves against this evil. And God gave them strength and they won the victory and the Jewish people were saved. Why do we celebrate during Purim time? Not just for an event that happened thousands of years ago, but because that same God that was alive thousands of years ago is still alive today. He still delivers today. He still sees when we are in and the odds are totally against us, that we have nowhere left to turn, that it cannot change, that it's done. They say when, it's, when you got that, you got that. God says, wait a second. I got one more move, one more play. Don't give up hope. We serve the same God. So how did it end for good old Mordecai? I'm going to read all of chapter chapter 10 for you. And before you bemoan the whole chapter, it's only three verses. (laughs) But I'm going to read it to you so you understand what happened. How does this situation end? Because I believe this is a prophetic picture of how God wants your situation to end. Hear me. This is a prophetic picture for how God wants your situation to end as well. King Ahasuerus laid tribute on the land, the coasts, and the islands. All the acts of his power and might along with a full account of the high honor to which the king advanced Mordecai are written in the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was raised to the second highest position in all the Persian kingdom, just like Joseph was raised to second only to Pharaoh. He was a great man among the Yehudim, popular with all his many countrymen. He sought the good of his people and interceded for the welfare of all their descendants. That is the end result 
of this story that starts out so really, really, really bad. God came through. You know, they tell us that the name of God is not even written or named in the entire 10 chapters of Esther. You can't find the name of God anywhere. But yet, the movings of God are everywhere. The hand of God is everywhere. And you need to see it in your life, that when you're up against it, and it looks like God is nowhere to be found, I want to tell you this, God is around. And all he is looking for you to do is do the right things. Use your influence and your godly character. It's going to pay big dividends like it did for Mordecai. Do the right thing even when you're tempted not to. Take a stand for righteousness when evil presents itself. And then lastly, how are you going to react in in response? What's your reaction and response going to be? Are you going to follow through and see God do a great victory? I want to say this as we stand to our feet. Never underestimate the power of one person doing the right thing for the glory of God. He's one man. One. He's not an army of men. He's not a council of men. He's not even a million. He's one singular man. And because of him and his actions, our Jewish people are alive today. I always wonder when we see a group of people, we could say, wow, we're not a lot of people in this room. But to God, he doesn't see it quite like that. He sees enough people in this room to change the world. As a matter of fact, when God the Father said to Yeshua, how many people do you want to change the known world? He said, well, I'll take 12. (laughs) 12? That's all you need is 12? Yeah, I'll just take a crew of 12. That'll suffice. So I wonder what God thinks when he looks out on us. And we say, wow, we're just a small band, only a few of us here. Yet God sees enough people to change the world. He sees your situation and he sees the ability to change it. God's not afraid of what faces us. God's not spooked by evil nor intimidated. No, God says, trust me, seek me, go after me. And watch what I could do. I can do. Friend, what happened here was the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. Every holiday we as Jews celebrate is seeing the God that we serve do the impossible. The miracle of Hanukkah, impossible. Of Purim, impossible. Of Pesach, impossible. Yet they happened. That's the same God you and I serve right here today. I so want to fill your heart with faith. Friends, I know sometimes it looks gray and dark. And it looks like there's no way out. But God always 
always, always has a way out. Believe him, trust him, and put your hopes in him. Let's all stand. Again, want to encourage everyone, come out. We have the Purim party today. We're having a shortened service because we would normally have ministry time, but we're not going to do that today because we have a Purim party that I know you guys are going to get ready for, that you're going to come in costume as we celebrate what? The great deliverance that the God of Israel gave to us. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy each other's company, eat hamantashen, and be filled with just gladness of heart because the God we serve is a good one. And again, before you go, if you're saying, oh my gosh, Rabbi, if you only knew what I'm going through, if you'd only know, Rabbi, what I'm in the midst of, you would say, oh, I understand. And I do understand, but this is what I want to tell you. Take a page out of Mordecai's book and let the same God that he served do the same thing for you. Amen. So be sure to join us at 4 o'clock here. We're going to have a great time, especially bring the kids. Let the kids dress up. The kids are going to have a blast. They're going to be playing games. Adults, there's going to be porn bingo for you. I know you, you, you don't want to miss the porn bingo. Um, it's just going to be a really fun time, so just come out for that and celebrate with us. Stand on your feet. Let me say the blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his healing, his favor, his grace, his mercy, and his love. And he said to put this on to the people of Israel and bless them. Father, I pray, God, that your blessings of healing, if you need healing, lift your hand to heaven. God, that your mercy, God, and your healing virtue, God, would flow into your people. God, for those who are in need, God, of, Lord, your love, God, in an extra measure, God, send your love. Those who are in need, God, of a financial deliverance, Father, bring it in the name of Yeshua. Father, whatever the need is today, God, bless your people, I pray, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And everyone said, Amen. Shabbat Shalom. God bless you. And when you get that testimony, let me know. And we'll shout it from the rooftops. God bless you.